Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is March 2nd, 2022. We're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have, we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, strength that you have given us. We pray for those who are still ailing and sick among us. Also, Father, as we open your word, we pray for wisdom so that we can come to know you better. We pray that we are the kind of worshipers that you seek, those who worship in spirit and in truth. So, Father, as we continue our Romans 10 uh, study, we pray that you will open doors for us here so that you, we can see uh, what you are trying to tell us in these scriptures. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. So we we are studying in the Amen. book. Yes. So we're studying in the book of um, Romans, and we're in chapter ten. We we are just at verse fifteen. Hopefully by now you you can see what or where this chapter is headed and what it's about and uh, how it fits into what we studied in Romans chapter 9 as well. So we're going to get right into it and as I said before we have a short Q&A after. Um, well, it depends how, how, long, how many questions we have. But uh, And to note, our website wordistruth.com is out there. Uh, take a take a look, explore, see what you can find. Uh, might be some information you didn't know was there. So wordistruth.com is our website. Another an interesting <clears throat> page on on the website is the ground rules. So I don't know if you knew this, but we have ground rules for study. Um, you don't have to worry whether you're you're violating any of them. No worries. But these are just rules that we have uh, in interpreting the Bible. I think that's a valuable approach to trying to come to understand what truth is. So anyway, uh, you can find that as one of the pages on on our website. So let's get into it. So we're in Romans chapter ten. Verse 15, it reads, And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. While we may preach the gospel today, we should not think that God needs us to accomplish his will. No one will be lost because we will, we will not go or say the wrong thing when we open our mouth to speak for God. I would hate to think people are lost because of me. My attitude should be different. It is a joy to share in the work of the gospel. I like Paul's attitude here. Quote, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. That's Philippians 1.18. God does not need us to communicate the gospel, but he allows us to share in its blessing. 
Now that's a thought to think about because, you know, if we thought somehow that God is depending on us and people are going to the lake of fire because we failed to give them the gospel or we didn't step up when we should have, uh, that's, that's really a horrible thought. But that's not the way it is. Whether we give the gospel or not, God, is, his will will be done. He has other means by which he enlightens fallen man. So we don't have to worry that somehow we were inefficient or uh, shouldn't have said this or that. And I, I appreciate that because having the understanding that it's a joy, it is a voluntary joy that we, we can have as we sub submit ourselves to learning what the gospel is, and, you know, taking time to study it, and then, you know, seeing our approach through, you know, so we've studied it out, then we, we develop strategies and we execute. So this is what, what I would think when, if we're going to approach it, we want to approach it seriously. I want to take to heart um, some of the things that are said about us. We're ambassadors and such. We'll get to more of that as we're in this, this part of it. So let's get into it. So this first, we broke it into two phrases. That's all. It should be pretty quick. And the first one is, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So the first point is that, as we discussed last week, this is a reference to God's calling and purpose for Israel. So we, we had this, we covered it last week because we were going in succession and how can anyone, you know, preach unless they are sent and, you know, all the different things we talked about in succession. So we brought this verse in, even though it was part of this week's study, just for, you know, consistency. Uh, but. So yeah, it's about, this is really about Israel's calling. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? Um, obviously, we've been called as well, and we'll talk about that. But in context, it was Israel. And I think I said some things like, wow, can you imagine if they're the ones who are called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and yet they themselves haven't believed the gospel, that's a horrible combination of uh, things that spell failure for Israel. They, they certainly can't succeed if they haven't believed the gospel in sen sending the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, that just won't work. So now the church has some responsibility in this at this point. So point B, ironically, the shoe is on the other foot now. The church has this responsibility, and Israel is the unbelieving mission field. So we've covered this verse, Romans 11, 28 and 29, just to emphasize this point, is that it's Israel now who needs the gospel. For, for verse 28, 11, 28, as far as the gospel is concerned, they, and we're talking about national Israel here, are enemies for your sake. But as far as the election is concerned, they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call 
are irrevocable. So God, God's calling of Israel is sure. It's, but he's, saying, he's not saying Israel is off the hook. You really have to look at the, the irony of that verse. On the one hand, they're enemies. On the other hand, they're loved and God's gifts and call are still, God is saying, I'm still holding them responsible for what I have called them to. And Israel will have to be responsible for this calling. And they will complete it. They will do what God eventually says they will. But notice, right now, they are enemies. They hate the gospel. So who who can we witness to? Jews. Jews are part of uh, those who are out there on the mission field. By the time we get finished with Romans, (laughs) every one of you will be experts in witnessing to Jewish people. You know all the things now that uh, Paul knows and he's taught us well. So we can certainly benefit by, if we do find somebody who needs the gospel and they happen to be Jewish, uh, we we can certainly speak to that issue as well. Point number C, let's keep moving. We, that is the church, have been given a specific ministry. And this is what I was alluding to earlier about uh, we've been given this responsibility as well. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 is the text that I want to read. So 18 says, all this is from God. He's talking about if anybody's in Christ, he's a new, a new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now listen, we have a ministry, okay? I, I, it is amazing to me how uh, Christians today, a lot of Christians will talk about that they have some sort of special ministry and this is what God has called them to. This is their ministry. Listen, this here, is everybody's ministry. Every Christian, if you're born again, this is, and you come to know what the gospel is, you can't, you don't want to, you know, be like Israel where they don't know how, how to go out or they refuse to go out. But we have a responsibility. God has given us a ministry. And it just says it right here. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that means we're responsible. That means we're on the hook. And God is trying to tell us that we now are in the position to go out. But our mission field is not Gentiles or just Gentiles. Our mission field is the whole world. And wherever people are who are lost, that is our responsibility. Okay, let's continue it through through 20, that God was reconciling himself to the world, or was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So not only do we have the ministry of reconciliation, but we have the message of reconciliation. God is not just leaving it up to you and you have you know, just be creative and tell people I love them or something. You have 
the words that God wants you to say that should be in your, on, your, on your lips. So look at this. Uh, we know this part about, this is, the, this, this is the part that sticks out right here, is that uh, God is not counting people's sins against them. Can you imagine Israel uh, t- talking to people and looking down upon them and seeing them as dogs and, and filthy Gentiles? And, and, and shouldn't they have been... I mean, this is the message that they should have been telling Gentiles instead of calling them every name under the book, uh, in, under the book in the book, <laughs> every name, period. They were, the Jews hated the Gentiles, called them filthy dogs, uh, uncircumcised, and all these things that they uh, will point out about Gentiles that they didn't like. Instead of telling them this truth, that God is not counting their sins against them. Now, now listen, this is not something for the church age. This is for all time. God never counted anybody's sins against them. They were, the plan was that Christ would come and take the sins of the world. Even though he hadn't done it yet in the Old Testament, he was, he was slated to come, prophesied to come, and sure enough, he did, and he took away the sins of the world, just like he promised. So all of this is the message. Now, there's more to the message, but boy, the one thing that Paul points out here is the fact that God is now counting people's sins against them. Now, you listen to Christians today, or if you ask unbelievers, what do, you, what do they think Christians are for, or what are they all about? Oh, they're going to talk about how Christians are self-righteous and always ragging on them about their sins. and uh, it's, it's a terrible scene, because there's no grace in their uh, presentation. Here... It's just, it's just straight out. So now listen, in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors now. So there's a title given us, Christ's ambassadors. And this is a ministry. If you wonder, well, what should I be doing as, as I'm a Christian? Well, here's one thing right here you could be doing, other than coming to know the truth, you know, coming to know the full truth. Here's a ministry that God has put right in your lap. You have a ministry, and you are, therefore, because of the ministry, you are Christ's ambassadors. Now listen to this, just to be sure that this is, just like Israel had this responsibility to go out and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, so do you. Look at this, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And we could go to 521, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in this case, we have this ministry as though God were speaking directly through us. We know God is in us. If we learn his word and we have the motivation of the spirit, God will speak through us. Literally, because this is not your word. This is—he's the one put that put you in the ministry. He's the one that sent you. You could say, 
So he's responsible for what you are saying to people. So keep, keep that in mind. We have a ministry. But when you're thinking about Israel and what God had uh, you know, given them as far as their blessing, it was a responsibility for them. And that's what we should understand. So I, I, I just showed you that the church is now God's representatives here on earth. God is telling every person who understands the gospel, every person who's saved, that this is their ministry. Point E. Okay, so Genesis 18, 18 through 19. I'm just going to read it to you. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Let's just, just examine this for a second, because this is what we would call the Abrahamic covenant, right? God is making a covenant with Abraham, and he's saying, this is what, what I'm going to do, Abraham, through you. And uh, first he didn't tell Abraham the whole thing, but now he's just going to lay it out. Now, of course, if you go to Genesis, you'll see that in the context, this is where Sarah, uh, you know, they were uh, going back and forth about how we're going to have a son and so forth. But in this Genesis verse, it is telling us that Abraham was, he's going to be, that other nations are going to be blessed because God is going to do something powerful. In, uh, in it through Abraham. He says, you will surely become a powerful nation. And Abraham doubted many times. So God had to come back and say, Abraham, li listen, listen, go outside, look up at the stars. And you see that? The, in that way, you're going to have descendants, that many. You won't even be able to count them. There's going to be so many. And Abraham had to be reassured. He did. He We call him the father of the faith, but really... It took him a while before that title was something that we could apply to him. He was unfaithful in so many ways. But you know what? That's the title he has, and it shows us that our struggles are valid. You know, it doesn't mean we're going to go straight up. It is not a, uh, a successful climb to the top of, of our spiritual growth. It is a lot of failure as we look at Abraham's life. And I can certainly point out others in, in the Bible as well. This powerful nation is Israel. God is saying, I'm going to take a nation and I'm going to use that nation to witness to all the other nations. So Abraham was the beginning of this. And, and how are all the nations of the earth blessed through him? Because Christ would come through Israel and Christ would pay for the sins of every person. And the gospel that they were supposed to tell these Gentiles is just like we read. God is not counting their sins against them. And he's committed them to Christ. And this is the message that we have. So, but Israel failed. They refused. They didn't want to consort with Gentiles at all. Now, God didn't say, he did have some things in, in the law that said, hey, I want you to be my peculiar people. What he did not want them to do is to believe in the Gentiles' God. Gods, I should say, plural. Because they had idols and every other thing you can imagine that they worshipped. So uh, they didn't want, God did not want Israel 
to lose their uniqueness because everything about them spoke of some aspect of the gospel. Everything, their feast days, their tabernacle, their all everything they did, the morning and the evening sacrifices, uh, Day of Atonement, uh, the feast days, everything they did spoke of uh, some aspect of who they were and what God was doing and, and through salvation. So it was important that they stayed uh, focused on what God had given them, their traditions and all of the things that they had made them a unique people. But God's not calling Gentiles to be unique people like the Jew, that everybody become Jewish. He was showing the world what uh, it was like, what he was like through the nation Israel. Just like it, it said that God is going to speak, it is as though God was speaking through us, right? It's the same thing. He was speaking through Israel to the nations. Point F, let's keep going. I just ask a question here. Are you preaching the gospel? Um, so there's a verse I'm throwing in here, 2 Corinthians. Let's look at this. 9, 16, and 17. Actually, it's not. That's wrong. That's wrong. It's not 2 Corinthians. It's 1st. I can see that already. So if you would like to correct the notes, 1 Corinthians, I corrected mine, 9, 16, and 17. Let's read it. So this is what Paul says um, here. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul is saying he's compelled. He, there's something in Paul. Well, we know what it is. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who's in Paul, motivating him to preach the gospel. So he says, when I preach the gospel, I, it, I could boast that I'm doing a great job. I'm doing all this stuff. But he's saying he's compelled. And the, what's compelling him is God, the Holy Spirit. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So then he feels like he, he's not fulfilling a task when he doesn't preach the gospel. So point, uh, uh, verse 17, if, for, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If, I, if not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. Notice, so what we're trying to establish is really in these verses, one of the things we're establishing is that the church now has been given the, the blessing of preaching the gospel. So my opening up, I said some tough things like, God doesn't really need us to preach the gospel. He could do it if he wanted to. And that's true because God has given us this trust. But it's, it's a joy. It's a, it's a pleasure for us to have this. Paul, you know, God provides not only the words, of the gospel, but he provides the motivation. All of that is not anything that is original with us. It comes from God. So if I preach voluntarily, in other words, I want to do it, I have a reward. This is, we will be rewarded. Later, he talks about the reward, everyone who competes in the games and so forth. He, he goes through that. But if not 
voluntary. In other words, even though sometimes if I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, this where Paul says, preach the gospel, whether in season or out of season, whether you feel like it or if you don't, whether it's appropriate or if it's not appropriate. He's saying, preach the gospel. Let that be what you're about. I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. We have been given a trust. It is literally a stewardship that God has given us with regard to uh, preaching the gospel to the world. We have that mantle now. It, it, it is upon us. So then verse 18, what, is, what then is my reward? Just this, in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. This gets into a point that Paul is making about the Corinthians because <laughs> they tried to accuse Paul of uh, bilking them for money. Paul was very upset about that, especially since he never even took anything from them. And then he vowed that he would not take a penny from them. Not a penny or a denarius or whatever it was at the time. So anyway, back to our notes. I'm hoping that I'm making the point that are you preaching the gospel? Are you preaching it voluntarily? Or are you com Do you understand your responsibility before God to preach it? Either way, it is a trust that has been committed to us. Yes, I know Paul is an, an apostle, but we also have a role in this to, if we can, speak the gospel. Now, like I said, it, it's not dependent upon you. Nobody's going to be lost if you don't preach the gospel. It is a joy to be able to speak the, the words of life and to watch the Holy Spirit working in a person and you see that person start to become interested in the things of God and and become curious about uh, questions and uh, about the Bible and the spiritual matters and it is a joy to see that to, to experience that and then when they look to you and then you have the words to give them that satisfies their thirsty souls it is a joy it's truly a joy. If you haven't experienced it, I pray that you will at some point and you will preach the gospel. Let's keep going. So, so we're almost done with this, but the thought is, again, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Well, we are sent. God has commissioned us. Uh, and just like he commissioned Israel, I pointed out both verses. I, well, there's plenty of verses in Genesis that discuss Israel's calling and how it originated with Abraham and there are plenty of verses that discuss ours I tried to give you both so you could see now that we are the caretakers in the world of the gospel point number two as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news so the thought here when you go to the land Israel and and you see the land it's a very hilly land right so you could you, you could be standing on one mountain and then there's a valley and then it goes up and then there's another mountain and there's things built up on that one but if you look to the left you might see another mountain and it's a very mountainous area you know and then there's desert as well but you the the thought is how beautiful are the Feet of those who bring the gospel. It is like you're looking uh, over, looking at the mountain, and here comes across the mountain 
coming down from the valley is the feet are people who are bringing the good news. That's the picture that is being painted in this Old Testament passage. Let's look at it, point A. Paul borrows a phrase from the Old Testament to illustrate his point. Let's go to Isaiah 52, 7 through 10. We want to get the context of, to understand what does the verse say in Isaiah. There's another one in, uh, I believe, is Nahum. But we're, we're not going to read that. We're just going to read this one in Isaiah 52. And um, here it is. 52, I believe, yeah, 7 through 10. I picked up the context a little bit just because I wanted to make a point. 52, 7, how beautiful, well, let me see, yeah. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, the watchmen, your watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it in their own eye, with their own eyes. Oh, my reading is terrible tonight. Burst into songs of joy together, your ruins of Jerusalem. You ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Israel. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. So the salvation of our God and Israel in ruins. And uh, so what we see is really, as I'm pointing out uh, here in, in point B, as we can see, the context is about physical deliverance of it for Israel. But it is equated with Paul's main point here, eternal salvation. Just a quick review. Paul has the liberty to use whatever he needs to to make whatever point he wants to make. Paul understands the context is physical deliverance for Israel or Jerusalem. He understands that. But we are talking about, and, and not, not because I'm talking about it, it's because Paul is directing our attention to eternal salvation and how Israel failed to be saved, the nation Israel. And the nation Israel is not under God. I know there's a lot of Christians right now who look at Israel and say, oh, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. How wonderful. It is not a fulfillment of prophecy. And Israel is not a nation under God. That will not happen until you get to Revelation 7 in the tribulation, where God calls out those 12,000 Jews from each tribe and seals them in their foreheads. That is when Israel will become a nation again on this earth. Church will no longer be here. So this is interesting to, when you see Paul's use of, of the words, but he's applying them to eternal salvation. I think that's a point to make. And hopefully you see that point because it is a point that uh, a lot of people fail to see. They think, well, if Paul's quoting from the Old Testament, he must mean the exact thing the Old Testament is saying. No. What you got to do is look at the context of what Paul is dealing with. And, and that is what he is doing. That is what he is trying to teach. It's 
not trying to teach the law. He, he told us we weren't under the law. So n none of these things apply to us. We're not sitting around waiting for Jerusalem to be redeemed or, uh, or God has taken us. Or if you read in verse 4, 52.4, For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first my people went down to Egypt. That's because they, they were slaves in Egypt, by the way, to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. Right? So then there was the Assyrian crisis where Assyria came and again Israel was destroyed. And now, uh, what do I have here, declared someone. So this is, this is in the context of physical deliverances. You, all you have to do is look at the context. It's kind of pretty straightforward to figure out that it's not talking about eternal salvation. And so Paul is using this to make a point. So I hope you understand uh, and you don't fall into the category of those who who think that literally everything Paul says must comply with the law. We're not under the law. Point C. Eternal salvation is the ultimate deliverance from the bad news. It's When I say the ultimate deliverance, that is really what the Jews needed in the first place. So for Israel to fulfill their call, what they really needed was for them to answer the call for themselves. Not only the call for their vocation, which is to be God's priest nation to the world, but the call to salvation. The fact that they needed to believe in Christ themselves, the Christ to come, and they refused to do that. Uh, they became, there was a pattern of resistance, and because they had the law, they thought, well, if I obey the law, if I keep the law, I'm righteous before God. I'm not like the Gentile sinners. I'm righteous before God because not only do I have the law, but I attempt to keep it. I'm earnest. I'm sincere. And just look at the Apostle Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day, as far as the law was concerned, blameless. As far as I was a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. They were proud of their accomplishments because they had the law. And yet, it's like Paul says in Romans chapter 3, uh, are we, we Jews, any better? Not at all. God has said Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. None is righteous. None. So what did that mean? It meant they came just out of Adam. And yes, they, God called them, yes. But it was their responsibility to put their trust in Christ. And they refused to do it. So... Their, their salvation was what the first step was. They needed to reconcile that with God. And then God will give them the strength to go out and be the priest nation to the world. He was not uh, uh, working with necessarily unbelievers to go out and give the gospel. How could that work? That spells, as he said, we said earlier, failure. God was working with the nation Israel who was supposed to be God's priest nation, a saved nation, to go out and preach the gospel. So point C is just my point. When we talk in deliverance, Paul took that deliverance verse from Isaiah, but I'm making the point, eternal salvation is the ultimate deliverance, and it's the power we need, right, so that we can overcome everything uh, of the bad news. 
So when you look at uh, the church, the church is through the gospel, right? Ephesians 3, 6. It is through the gospel that we are heirs, to, you know, shares together in the promise and all these things. In other words, we're one body, Jews and Gentiles now. It's just through the gospel. It is not, uh, a, you can't be in a church and not believe the gospel. And you might think you're in the church. You might be in a local church, but God knows the heart. He knows whether or not you put your faith in Christ. And that is the only way you can be in the church. And being in the church, then you have that responsibility as we, we discussed earlier about being ambassadors. So it is, the, it is the ultimate deliverance from the bad news. You can't fulfill your call, even in the church, unless you're saved, unless you understand that as the foundation of your spiritual life. So those who are saved and are set free, they're redeemed, they're justified before God. This is all, you know, scriptures. Romans 10.1 is the first one I would point to you is because Paul says, uh, brothers, it is my heart. I'm going to read it. Romans 10.1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. This is, this is where he is. He, underst he understood this from the standpoint of uh, chapter 9, where he talked about these same Jews who were trying to say, it is foul, God. You can't call uh, the church. We are the call. You, you, first of all, don't tell God what he can't do. And then second of all, you, you better watch it. You're, you're on sh shaky ground. You're messing around with God's eternal purpose here. God will accomplish his purpose. So, so Romans 10.1, it sets the tone. It, God is telling uh, Israel through the Apostle Paul that they, they needed to be saved in order to fulfill their calling. And they were not. They had a pattern of resisting the Holy Spirit, as we saw, I think, in a couple other couple of uh, weeks ago, and that's a problem, right? So, without being saved, they were not set free. They were not justified like they thought they were under the law. They were not redeemed. So, even though Israel was by promise, the only thing here is they weren't set free from their sin natures. Uh, they would be under the law in terms of the way of life for them. So Romans 6, 20 through 23 describes what we're talking about, about how we're slaves when we're unbelievers. This is true for Israel. This is true for us. If we're not saved in this age, this is so Romans 6, 20 through 23, when, we, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Now, uh, notice, slaves to sin. If you're slaves to sin, how can you be God's representatives? God expects that you put your faith in the gospel. That's putting the, the horse before the cart. I'm hearing some noise outside. So, where it says you, when you were slaves to sin, you were, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of. Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from the sin, from sin. And really he's talking about the sin nature and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap 
leads to holiness and the result, eternal life. We've been set free and we have been given eternal life. Notice, eternal life is not the life where we're slaves to sin. We're free from those things. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you can see the two spiritual death with its resulting physical death is, is the destiny of every person who is in Adam, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have, uh, we're not slaves anymore. God, he can't use people who are slaves to sin. So that's an important thought that it is the ultimate deliverance. I know Israel had them been delivered many times and it was wonderful when they saw the Redeemer coming in and they did finally get free of slavery and all those things. That's just great. That's great. However, eternal salvation is the ultimate deliverance. If you leave this earth and you don't have eternal life, then you will not be, you, want, you will not live with God uh, in the, after you die. After you die, you're going to go to the lake of fire. You, you, well, first you go to Hades and then to the lake of fire. And it's a place of judgment. But, but what a difference eternal life makes. So I'll just end with this last thought. Israel's calling meant God chose them for a special purpose. They were blessed. But with blessing comes responsibility. Now, when I say that, everything Israel received in their calling, God, you could see how God talked about it. It's, I'm going to make a powerful nation. Abraham, you'll be blessed. In fact, it was another scripture I could have used, or I was going to use, where it says, those who uh, curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. In other words, people's attitude towards you is their attitude toward God. And Israel's message is supposed to be the gospel right? and unfortunately they failed at this so they didn't really fulfill that purpose yet but it's a special purpose and this blessing israel equipping them with you know all the revelation the mosaic law all the things that they needed to come to know about god a lot of the old testament is is tremendous revelation that God had given the world. It wasn't just that he gave it to Israel, but now we know how the world began through the revelation that came through Israel. I mean, in writing, we have uh, the, the first five books of the Old Testament and, uh, and then all the writings of the prophets and all of, all of the, the, old, the whole Old Testament was, help, it helps us to understand who God is. So they were blessed. But this thought, and I don't want to say but, it shouldn't be a but. I should say they were blessed. And with blessing comes responsibility. Their, Israel is responsible to God because God called them. God put them in the plan. He says, these are my servants. I'm going to task them. I'm going to call them, commission them. And sure enough, he does the same thing for the church. We have been called. We are, we are blessed. In fact, 
we are so blessed. It says we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But that blessing comes with responsibility. And our responsibility here in time, one of them is that we come to know the truth, the foundation, and that we preach the gospel to the world. That's one of the responsibilities of the church. But we also have other responsibilities that God will have uh, for us, not only now in time, but also in the eternal state. So we are responsible to God. That's what we have to think about when we're blessed. Not just be so happy, we just are so uh, jumping up and down, doing backflips and all that because we're so happy. But we, what we should be doing is coming to learn what our responsibility before God is because we are blessed. So that's the thought. I, I, not a whole lot tonight, but I'm glad we have some time. We're going to pause at this point and try to pivot to see if there are any questions out there. So um, I'm going to open the floor for whatever questions you may have. The floor is open. Yeah, I have a question. Sure, Dwight. Go right ahead. Um, going back to Philippians chapter 1, in which you introduced um, in the beginning. Sure. Um, so in, in your opening statement, you said that, um, well, in, in the whole, <laughs> in much of the whole message, um, it was pretty clear that we are not, um, you know, somebody's salvation isn't uh, dependent on us. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not going to be lost because we failed to give them the gospel. Right. Um, and, and you made that reference to uh, 1 Corinthians, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Philippians 1.18, um, talking about, you know, in any way that Christ is preached, you know, Paul rejoices. Uh, further down in that same chapter, um, Paul is talking about for me to live as Christ and to die as gain in verse 21. And then it goes on, in um, 22, it says that if I'm, if I, this is ESV, by the way, let me change this to NIV. That's right. Sorry, it's sorry. It's okay. The 20, uh, where did I go? All right, 21. For me to, or to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be with part. I desire to, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Um, so I wanted to ask about that necessary comment in verse 24. And then he goes on to 25 and 26. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Mm -hmm. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So those, those several verses seem to talk about, um, 
you know, the necessity of Paul being there. Yes, he will be rewarded, and yes, it's fruitful labor for him. Um, but it sounds like he has something to offer the Philippians, um, something that they wouldn't get otherwise. Is that so? What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the value of what Paul brought to the Philippians was tremendous teaching and what what we learned about Philippians it's a, a thank you letter to the Philippians because of their generosity um, and Paul is letting them know that uh, he has much more to teach them as well I, I like the verse in four I'm just going to hold my finger on that verse you're at I'm going to go to Philippians 4 where he says um where is it here? Yeah. So he says, he has, he says, verse 12. Oh, oh, let's start at verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that, the la that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content with uh, whatever the circumstances. I know that uh, what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or pl in plenty or in want. I can, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your uh, your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid m more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is, is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And this verse is really the one I was thinking about. And my God will, will meet all your needs according to his riches, to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So he... It's a reciprocal thing that as they supply and support Paul, wherever he is, they, Paul is also going to supply everything that they need in Christ. Uh, so this is, this is when I go, I'm headed back to one, I just wanted to read that. So when I think about these verses that you mentioned, it just reminds me of how Paul is saying that, uh, you know, when you have people who are like that, um, who really eager and understanding, and even in Philippians 1, he says that they suffered with him uh, down toward the end, where he says, for it has been, <coughs> it's been granted to you, this is verse 29, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So the Philippians, 
these were people who were really positive toward Paul. They loved him and they wanted Paul to come to them. And even when he didn't come to them, he would write to them as, as we see this letter is, is written to them. And he wanted to supply all their needs, everything they needed. And what they needed from Paul was what his gift provided. And it was better for them that Paul stay and continue, even though the suffering for Paul was so great that he could easily say that I could be relieved of all of this suffering. And being with Christ, I know when I depart this life, I know what's next. I'm going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's way better. But Paul was going through so much suffering that he was, these thoughts were plaguing him. So in this, uh, where he says, it is more necessary, this is verse 24, for you that I remain in the body, I'd say so. Not only do we have uh, the, the Philippians uh, gospel, or the message or letter, we should say, to the Philippians, but we also have other letters that Paul wrote. Uh, we call these prison epistles. And they're very critical to um, our theology today. And without these, I, I, we would not have a well-rounded fullness of the truth. God is through the Apostle Paul. And as, as you know, Paul wrote 27, no, no, he wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. And all of, a lot of Paul's writings are, we've been going through, we went through Galatians and Philippians and um, Ephesians and we, we went through uh, all the four books, yeah, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, um, Philippians, and did we go through Corinthians? No, Colossians. So those four books contain many of <clears throat> the, the doctrines of the mystery and spelled out in detail the deep things of God. So Paul brought it, we could say. But God intended that he use Paul. And even the suffering that Paul went through was a part of it. So he says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress. So there were letters um, and they were shared among all the churches. So it wasn't just, oh, the Philippians only got the one letter. No, but they circulated the letters to the other churches as well. We get that from um, Colossians as well, Colossians chapter 2, where it says, um, let's see, is it Colossians where it talks about read the letter to the Laodiceans? Yeah, I might be not sure. What, oh yeah, I want you to know that how hard I'm contending for you are those at Laodicea who have not met me personally. Uh, so yeah, it they shared these letters. There's another verse that I'm thinking of that talks about that, but we, we can get to, we can find that later. It's not that important, but that's the thought. That's that's what I would answer as I'm thinking about why he said that in Philippians. I'm paused. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess I'm still wondering about the, this responsibility 
versus um, the statement about you know people being uh, people will not lose their salvation because we fail to give them the gospel or we, we deliver it wrong or you know, something. No, I see what you're saying. My my thought in using verse 18 really goes back to the previous verses where it's, it is true, like verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Uh, the latter do so out of love, uh, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely propose, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So... People had different motives in preaching the gospel, right? So my thought here is that uh, we are called to preach the gospel. And uh, and I don't want you to think that uh, in this, this verse, Paul is really saying, well, the false motives are true. He summed it all up by saying that Christ is preached. Now, the early part of the ministry was nobody really realized, you know, who Christ was. He was very new. Paul didn't care, even if it was negative press or positive press. Christ is preached. People got to know Christ. And that is important for us to go out and preach the gospel. It is. And I know our motives, we want them to be pure. We're not going to be on the side of people preaching with false motives. That Hopefully, we won't be on that side. But my point in using that was how we are sent and how the gospel message was going out. So that was more um, why I used the verse. Not so much for, for the context of where he turned to uh, departing and being with Christ and so forth. Okay. Um... I, I guess in one aspect, I think of my own experience and, um, you know, the number of years that I spent, that I spent in um, various denominational churches and never really hearing anything about the, uh, the mystery. Um, and so I, I have come to learn of it with you and um, I don't know how and when I would have learned a bit without a teacher well I, certainly it's interesting to me that I have the same experience I went through church churches you know my upbringing never even thought of well I can even not talk about the mystery I can say the gospel right we, we didn't hear grace the way the Bible teaches it. <laughs> so. That's true. <laughs> Good point. So I could easily say that, yeah, the mystery certainly wasn't there, but uh, the gospel wasn't there. And we sat there, we we did what we did, but and we thought we were witnessing, but we weren't, we'd ha- we had a different gospel. So, it, it you know, one of the things in this message where it talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, the, the thought here is, it's a glorious thing. And I know sometimes there's ambivalence about sharing your faith and uh, outing yourself. You know, people start to put you in certain categories if you 
say certain things, you know, they see, oh, that's a religious person. None of us wants to be tagged as a religious person. But ultimately, we are those who have the words of life. And we have to develop the attitude that we have been given a trust. Like Paul said, he says, I would just read it in Romans. This is attitude here. Romans chapter 1, where he says um, here, uh, verse 14, his, he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish, and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So when I see this, he's saying he's obligated. He owes them. That's his attitude. He owes them the gospel. Uh, and when you have the gospel of grace, it is not a gospel where we're putting people in the corner because of their sins or we're uh, maligning or, or telling them they must repent of them and before they can be saved and all these different things that... Um, Christians are doing out there that are making um, Satan is using the, that to, to give us a, a religious tag. Oh, everybody who talks about this is religious, right? And no, that's not true. These people that are out there, we know they desperately need eternal salvation, even if they don't realize it. So we have a job to do. And one, another Scripture is where we should be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And just to, we have, we, wise as serpents, we should have a strategy. We, we shouldn't just go out there half-cocked, as it were. We should really know the gospel. We should study it to the point where we come to know it. We, it's our responsibility to do that. And then uh, we should harmless as doves. So when we go out there, we don't want to rope people in or use tactics that are uh, not honest. We, we, we want to have a pure heart and a pure motive as we approach them. They're, we only want their good. We don't want their money. We don't uh, try to steal from them. Nothing that is underhanded. It is simply that they come to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And, but there's nothing wrong with having approach, an approach that is wise or, or that, you know, we know that people think this. So, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to go around that and think and show them this. So, so, so it's about preaching the gospel. And there's a blessing in all of this if, if we're not doing it. I'm not talking to anybody here that I know from over many years of our congregation that the people here are going out because they're excited about the gospel of grace and so uh, preaching to the choir as it were but I'm saying these things because it is important to say it that we have been given this trust it is a ministry that we have and uh, I've heard so many stories in our church that I know people are focused on. Whenever the door is open there, they're ready to go out and give the gospel. So I'll pause.
other thoughts out there or, or do I okay. follow? No, thanks. I'll, I'll give somebody else a chance to. Uh... Other thoughts? All right. Sounds like everybody is uh, contemplating, hopefully. And um, if we don't have any questions right now, that's okay. We, we just wanted to leave some time for Q&A, if you had a thought. But um, we're just going to close in a word of prayer then. And uh, give you back the rest of your time. Let's, let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this evening. We pray that as we go out and, and strategize, uh, learn the truth about what our foundation is so that we can teach those who don't know the gospel. Speak the words of life. We thank you for giving us the privilege of sharing in the work of the gospel. It may be work, but it is a labor of love. So we thank you, Father, for giving us this ministry and giving us the words to say to people. Helping people understand that, that salvation is by grace. It is free. It just cost them nothing. All they do is put their trust for their soul salvation in Jesus Christ. So we thank you for not only putting us in the ministry, but this glorious gospel. This so great gospel that we have. And these words are powerful. And it brings out eternal salvation to those who believe. So we thank you for those who have uh, given us their time this evening. And we pray for each person in the church that they understand the mission and uh, what is required of us. Thank you for putting us in the ministry. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.